big warm welcome to you. This is the Aware Parenting Podcast with Lael Stone and Marion Rose, PhD. We have juicy conversations about things that matter in parenting and life. We're exploring all that Aware Parenting has to offer from many different angles, and we are so glad that you're here. Hello and welcome to the Aware Parenting Podcast. It's Lael again, flying solo. Beautiful Marion, we are going to be back together, but we have decided we're going to create a few little series where we just talk one-on-one with um, some guests around topics that we're really passionate about. So welcome to Valuing Fathers Part 2. I am joined by the lovely Kurt Storing. I'm going to get him to introduce himself in a minute. Uh, This podcast particularly... um, I feel really passionate about because I have done some work with Kurt in the past and I've spoken to his uh, group of fathers he works with just around where parenting and, and ways to help ourselves and look at our own stories and bring more harmony into our families. But I really love and champion the work that Kurt is doing because I just see how much is needed for fathers out there. Obviously, Marion and I, we talk a lot about mothering and, and um, we work a lot with women, but I find that there is a lot more beautiful conscious men who are saying hey where do I go and I want to talk to other men about this and and I want support around what this looks like uniquely for me I've been trying to convince my husband for years to jump on and do this stuff and he's like nah that's not my bag um, so when I found Kurt I was like oh yes he's a beautiful man who is he's done the work himself he's a father but also he uh, he's holding space for men and and really working with them to help them become the best versions of themselves in their families. So welcome, Kurt. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Mm, thank you for having me on. I know that we have chatted a couple of times now. You've been on my podcast. You talk mm-hmm. to our community. And uh, it's just honestly an, an honor to have got the invitation in the first place. So thank you for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. So I would love to start, if, if you would love to just share a little bit about your story, who you are, where you are, and, and how you came to doing what you're doing. Yes, absolutely. And I think that, you know, I, I don't love sharing this because I like talking about myself. I love sharing this because it's a story of hope. And I really like sharing that to dads, especially because so many of them are feeling like there is no hope. They're against the wall and they just cannot get past whatever hurdle they're they're facing. So I became a father nine years ago. I've got three boys, uh, nine, seven, and two. I've been married for just over 10 years now. And we got married and had children very early compared to society's standards these days, at least. I think we were 23 years old. And I had absolutely no idea what to do. And I didn't have any mentors. I did not have a strong relationship with my father. I just felt lost. And I just did what came naturally, which unfortunately was quite poor. And it just made me feel angry and resentful and guilty and shameful because of the way I was reacting to basically being intruded upon at work or asked to do things by my wife or my like baby son. And I look back at it now and thank goodness I've been able to forgive myself for a long time. It was really hard for me. But we ended up having a second child, and this was about two years after our first was born. And I just thought, you know, there, I, there must be a way to do this differently, right? Like something must be easier for someone else than it is for me, because I don't see everyone going around seemingly hating their lives in the way that I truly felt in my deepest soul. It's like, I don't like doing this. 
but I just carried on because I'm a dad and that's what dads do. And it was actually through a business mentor who I was following who suggested meditating. And I was like, okay, I'll be more productive at business and that's great. Maybe I'll make more money. And so I meditated, but a week into it, I found myself not reacting with explosive anger to my oldest son. And from that moment on, I was like, ooh, there is something here. And it was the first time I'd ever stopped myself from reacting negatively like that. And that kicked off what's been now like a seven-year journey into just figuring this out. And by this, I mean myself, why I am the way I am, how to unpack that, how to unravel that, how to be in relationship with my wife and my children, uh, and how to father them in the way that is going to make them be open and authentic and loving and able to be loved as well in a way that I didn't feel. So in that time, I moved the family to Thailand for a couple of years. We traveled for a while. And there were some pretty dark moments because I, I found meditation, but it was certainly not um, just a straight upward line. It was hit rock bottom numerous times, bounce off and, and just recover. But uh, there were times when I remember honestly thinking that the best thing for me to do as a father would be to, to go away. Like I was that bad. I thought, and even though I knew all the statistics, right, about fatherless homes, they're, you know, terrible, terrible statistics. I thought, yeah, but I'm worse. I am worse than them having no father. And I really got close to thinking that, you know, the only way out was um, not being around anymore. And I mean that in like the worst sense of it, I wasn't going to run away, I was going to end it all. And so that's why I say this is a story of hope, because something kept me going. And from that low point, I was able to use that as motivation to continue to do the work. And I'm sure we'll talk about the specific work ongoing, but uh, now having a third son, he's two, it's just a world of difference to see how he interacts now in the world, that he's got secure attachment, that he's had parents that are there for him who have done the work and who have moved past a lot of the wounding that held us back for the years prior. So I am, I'm now doing this work to bring this to other dads so that they don't have to suffer like I did. Uh, and honestly, a little bit selfishly, I want to live in a world that has more dads and more kids who do this kind of work uh, so that there's not so much triggered anger and explosiveness uh, in, in society. So uh, I, I'm not sure which parts I missed, but that's a quick overview of my journey. Oh, thank you for sharing that. And I really... I honor the tenderness in your story there, Kurt, because reaching a place where you think it, it'd be better off if I wasn't here or or feeling in just in such that feeling of being trapped, you know, in the I'm a dad and I don't like any of this and this is so hard. Like I, I relate to that as a mother. I remember feeling like that early in the years of mothering. I was like, what is good about this? There is nothing good about this. I had such, I was so lost and I I had so many, so many feelings I wasn't dealing with and so, uh, and no support and not being able to take care of myself. Like all that stuff is so real. And I think it's very important to speak it so that others go, hey if you feel like that there's you know you're not wrong you are probably just the product of our culture and society and not getting enough care and support and your healing work is asking to to be seen so thank you for sharing those vulnerable bits because it's it is it takes a lot of courage to say hey that's where I was uh, and and now I am working to do it differently so thank you for sharing that part of your story yeah thank you so um you know, hearing that around that it was really challenging for you and, and would you say the challenging parts were that you felt really powerless? Would you would you say that it was just because your kids needed you or they weren't doing what you wanted to do or they were having big feelings? Like what parts felt, felt the hardest for you? 
Yeah, that's a, a good way to put it. Powerlessness, specifically for me, I always looked at it as lack of control. Yeah. Um, so my, if I were to, you know, break down my own issues, so to speak, I would say that I have always felt as though um, I had to be in charge of everything, and because of that, I. Pardon me. <laughs> I can hear your beautiful kitties in the background. Yeah. That's okay. We are the podcast with birds chirping and dogs barking. And so children are perfect. So that's all good. Yeah. Well, that, that's what I say too about all the guys on my podcast are like, oh, if the kids come in, I'm like, dude, it's a parenting podcast. It's all yeah. good. So yeah. Yeah. Um, the, only, the only reason I'm saying that is now I'm losing my track of thought. So uh, my story was basically that from a young age, um, you know, my father left my mother, my mother took it hard as anyone would. And I just felt abandoned. That was my perception, whether or not it was true. That's how I perceived it as a three-year-old. And that led to me acting in ways to get favor, which meant if I was good, if I did everything perfectly, then, oh, maybe I wouldn't get yelled at, or maybe other people wouldn't like need to send their emotions out on me. So I internalized that my identity was one of, I need to be perfect. And I see this in a lot of guys, for whatever reason it is, perfectionism, not needing to fail. If they make a mistake, they get crushed. This was me. And so as I'm trying to be perfect, there's this baby. And this baby doesn't care about my perfection. He doesn't care about the control that I want to have over my life. Because if I just control everything, I can be as perfect as I can make myself look to the world. And so it was the powerlessness against what he needed from me and not being able to just put him in the box and go, okay, here's you, here's me, I'm good. You just go away now. Uh, and that was a huge part of it. And I was also, uh, you know, upon reflection, I never got the space to have the emotions to say these things to my parents. And even when he was a baby, um, that just, I think internally it triggered that, like, well, I never got this. What are, you, what are you talking about? I don't know how to do this. Nobody mirrored it for me. Nobody gave me the space to do this. And so that was like the very beginning of what that problem was for me, I think, which eventually morphed into not having secure attachment with my oldest son, him being very anxiously attached. And what I saw was he would have all of my worst qualities reflecting back at me. And so he became a massive trigger in my life. And that trigger just had me replaying my own failures over and over and over. So it was this sick cycle of like a, a shame spiral, really, where I would do something, I'd feel bad, he'd reflect it back at me and I'd go, oh, I know that's my fault. He would never do that without me. And I would just feel bad. So it was powerlessness, it was lack of control, it was needing to be perfect, it was failing and feeling like a complete failure myself and just losing that identity of like, who was I if I don't get to decide how I show up in the world? Uh, so those were some of the feelings behind all the struggle for me. Uh, I feel like everyone's nodding going, yep, I relate <laughs> that. I mean, what you explained there was so beautiful around what we talk a lot about in aware parenting is when we are trying to hold space for our kids' feelings or just even really, really simple things that our children may do. When we never receive that as a child, it can bring up so much of our own pain and our wounds and we do become reactive and then we move into power over or control or yelling or all those kind of things. So I love how curious you were or what you're sharing around realizing that that was your story. But the, the piece I, I would love to expand a bit more on is that part you were feeling around the shame, you know, and how that would, you know, sit with you. How did you begin to start moving past that shame and that story? Like what, what helped you? 
Yeah, there, there's a book that I'll recommend that I think anyone who's struggling with potential shame should read. It's called The um, Healing the Shame That Binds You by John Bradshaw. Uh, and I just found this to be instrumental to start me thinking about shame in the first place. Because as I read this, I was like, oh, this guy must have been watching my life because uh, I relate to almost everything in here. And it's this idea of toxic shame of not feeling like or basically feeling that I am bad, not that my actions are bad, which would be guilt. And so I when I messed up with my sons, I would internalize that as like, oh man, I'm not perfect here. I'm screwing up. Therefore I am bad. And that just sunk me. And I would go into like little pity parties with myself rather than apologizing, rather than coming back and be like, guys, I need a little bit of support right now. I would just, I remember going to my bedroom and just like sitting face down in my bed for hours going, oh, I deserve to feel so bad. And getting out of that was a combination of I think everything and, and my own journey touched on so many points that I'm now working, as we talked about before, trying to bring this into a course material, like how do I take the million things that I did and break them down into a few digestible chunks? So for me, it was awareness, just getting more, uh, just noticing more about what I was feeling and then why. So you go, okay, here's the what, but then why? And then again, okay, well, where does that come from? Why that? And I just took that why question down and down and down until it got to the point of like, oh, well, I actually feel like a three-year-old right now who's kind of scared. He doesn't have a mom and a dad around to support him. Oh, what do I do with that? And so awareness was number one. Journaling was really important on my journey. Just free form asking these curiosity questions. Where is this coming from? Simply stating I feel shame and I feel guilt and I feel angry. Um, I mean, it's a cliche, but name it to tame it, they say, or, or feel it to heal it. Sitting with that through the journaling, through the meditating, that allowed me to hold space for my own feelings. And I was completely emotionally unintelligent, unavailable, all the things that you want to say about not being even able to express that. Because I felt like, oh, I just had to be the rock. I was very closed off. If I let myself feel, then I wouldn't be as stoic and cool as I thought I was. And again, I can, I know most of the dads are like, yeah, okay, that's me if I'm willing to admit it. And so when I was able to just be more instead of do more, and this is what the meditation and the journaling and the awareness practices gave me, was I could finally sit with it and feel it. And it's not comfortable to feel it, that's for sure, but it's way better to feel it and be able to drop it or move past it or alchemize it. Um, and I, the phrase that's coming to mind is the only way out is through. And so if there's an uncomfortable feeling in your path, rather than repressing it or pushing it down or whatever, I had to feel it. And that was often tears and yelling and sadness and grief really was a big one for me. Um, but that is how I started to deal with the shame piece. And then the, the thing that sort of, I would say healed that in a large sense is the idea of acceptance and then just being okay with who I was and forgiveness for myself. That took way longer than the other parts to be perfectly candid. I didn't even know what forgiveness meant really. And to apply it to myself, I felt like, oh, I cannot do that because I'm letting myself off the hook. And I need to be punished was my thought for how I showed up. So that took me a long time to get through. But one of the things I tell the guys all the time in our groups is that it's not your fault, but it is now your responsibility. So all the reasons that I was feeling shame, nobody taught me anything. I had a childhood that I had. All of these things happened to me. 
But rather than being a victim about it, I still take responsibility. So when I could drop that, when I could see like my own innocence in a sense, like I didn't mean to do this. This is not who I want to be. And I couldn't have helped it as a child. I was able to go like, oh man, the, the Kurt of, you know, three, four, five years ago, he was hurting. Like, wow. What does he need right now? More like anger and shame put on top of him? Or does he need love? And one of the meditations I listened to, I wish I could remember her name, Sarah Blondin, it might be, uh, in it, she said, when you're in your darkest or something like that, you need more love, not less. And that resonated with me so much. So forgiving myself, accepting who I was, where I was, and then like, honestly, intentional self-love practices, like just affirmations, saying that I was good, saying that I love myself, all these things that seem ridiculous if you're not in it. Honestly, I thought they were ridiculous but they helped to lay a foundation that simply didn't exist. I was just bad to myself. So all of those things together over the course of time and with support eventually um, sort of got me to the place where I could drop the shame and move into acceptance. So hopefully there's something useful in there from that story. I'm just nodding and I'm, I'm like sitting here with my hand on my heart going, oh God, I'm so honoring your willingness to do that, Kurt, because it's not easy. I mean, and this, what you're saying mirrors everything Marion and I talk about all the time around the forgiveness and the compassion. You know, we're always talking about being compassionate to ourselves. You know, the parts that you were saying around, I realized it, it, it's not intentional. I don't want to do this. This is the hurt wounded parts of me. That is so important to understand. You know, when we are sitting in that shame story of I am bad, you, we, we often talk about this. We, we are the product of our environments a lot of the time and it's the language we were taught at home and, and that's all we have known and we are relearning to, to parent ourselves with compassion and kindness and give ourselves all the things that we weren't given. And uh, I love that you were willing to do that work. And, and, you know, this is one of the other things that we often talk about of how powerful it is to actually do the work. And I really love that you shared that, that whether that is journaling or meditating or talking to someone or whatever it looks like for you, we have to feel what is present. We have to feel our way through. You, you're so, you, you spoke so beautifully then of we can't kind of bypass the feelings because they're there because they're asking, please see me, please hear me. Like I, I need to be seen so I can then let that go. And, and what I love too from what you're saying is the more we do this for ourselves, of course, then that translates into parenting and into our relationship, right? So the more kindness and compassion and and love we hold for ourselves, then the more we are able to give our children. That's how we begin to turn up for them. Is that what you began to find, that, that you were less reactive and you could turn up in that way for your boys? Yeah, it was remarkable. And that's why uh, with this project, Dad Work, my general thesis is that we become better fathers and be better husbands by becoming better men. And the reason for that is exactly what you said. When I am no longer weighed down by my own pain and trauma and guilt and shame, I can show up for other people. And part of that is filling my own cup after it stopped being weighed down by rocks. But if I am not my own worst enemy, I can actually see the things that I've forgiven and accepted in myself in everyone else. And seeing myself as a child, a, a 
child who is hurting and perceiving abandonment and all these things, it makes it way easier to see these same things in my wife and to see the things as they're happening in my children now, knowing that, you know, I didn't just become, I didn't just come out as an adult. There are reasons that I am the way I am. And I always tell the dads, like, there are reasons your kids are the way they are usually tied to that because you are the way you are and all the way back in your lineage. And so, yeah, that is absolutely the fact um, that if you do this work, I know a lot of guys are like, it's hard for me almost as someone trying to help men with this going like, here's why you do the work. Cause Oh, do men's work, do healing work, do this trauma work. And they're like, well, that I've never heard of that before. Sounds weird. And it's for me, it's like, Oh, actually, do you want to be a better dad? Everyone's like, Oh yeah, totally. And then it's like, okay, here's maybe the entry point. How, how is your childhood? What is your relationship with your mom and your dad? And they're like, Oh wow. I never thought about this before. And suddenly all these alarm bells are ringing and they're looking everywhere and suddenly it all makes sense. So I would just say for any dads who are unsure about what I'm talking about, if you want to be a better dad and want to be a better husband or partner, you have to start at home. You can't change the world if you can't pay your rent, which is what I heard one mentor say. In other words, take care of your own uh, household, take care of your own heart before you worry about impacting anyone else. Mm. Oh, I love that so much. I love that. Uh, I'm wondering, you know, now in you having obviously done a lot of work and you're working with men and all those kind of things, do you still find that there's edges that pop up for you? Um, you were using, you know, you were getting triggered by your sons. Do you find that there's still little places that turn up and makes you go, oh, there's an edge there and what do I do? Does that, how, how does that look for you now? Uh, no, I'm perfect now, actually. No, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Uh, yes, it happens all the time. And this is one of those things that I want guys to understand who are in the work, because if you're new to it and you start doing it and you start feeling better and then you get triggered, it's like, oh no, nothing's changed. But the way that I look at it now is that there are speed bumps, but I never slide back to where I was because I've now got a foundation. I've built myself up. I've built all of that so that when I do stumble, it's just a stumble. It's not this slide back into terribleness. Um, so yeah, like I'm triggered all the time. I still yell at my kids occasionally. And the thing is, I then immediately repent in a sense. And I say, I'm sorry. And I apologize. And I get their feelings in it. And I ask how that impacted them. And I ask how we can move forward the next time. And I ask, like, basically, how can we resolve this? Are you ready to move forward now? Whereas before I would just really hate on myself and go back into the shame spiral we already talked about. So yeah, I don't think that there is a parenting uh, experience in the world that will ever be perfect, that will ever be, uh, you know, trigger free or or sharp edge free, because there are just such a multitude of different experiences in life. And one of the most impactful things anyone ever said to me was like, why would you think you know what to do? You've never done this before. And it's like, oh, right. And he's like, even though you've had a seven-year-old before with your oldest, your second seven-year-old is a totally new person. And you are at an age where you're totally different than you were the first time around. And every single day you can say that same thing. I've never done this with a nine-year-old and a one-day. I've never done this with a nine-year-old and two-day-old. Never done this. You know, and it goes on and on. So you can never need, you never need to actually put all that weight that shame and that pain on yourself to be like, oh man, I should know what I'm doing because none of us do. And we're just going to get like a little bit better every day, but it takes doing the work to build the foundation. And if you stay in it, 
And if you don't just go, oh, I tried it once and then I went back and nothing's changed, uh, then there are great, great fruits at the end of this labor. And I just want to mention, maybe come back to when we talk about, um, you know, men and their partners, that's one of the things that I think that uh, moms can help with dads. If you see the dad doing the work and if he messes up or slides back, please don't go after him like, oh, I thought you changed because there's such a trust issue that men know we've broken your trust. And there's gonna be a huge period where we need to rebuild that, but it can be worse if it's pointed out that, oh, I thought you were better now. Guess you're not. Like that sort of shame from the outside is very hurtful too. So just wanted to drop that before I forgot. Mm, Oh, that's, uh, I really do see and hear that a lot with the people I work with. And I think you, that touches on such beautiful points there of it's the continuous compassion for our journey. Uh, And I love that there each child, each day, there is going to bring new stories and we all have a backlog of, of hurts and wounds that, that get, you know, that are brought up in different places. And when we sit in compassion, Oh, there's another piece. Okay. Yep. And we're in curiosity around it. When our partner brings that to us, we can also be like, oh, yeah, that sounds big. And we can sit in compassion with that. We actually are able to move through it so much quicker than if we pretend it's not there or if we hide it or we sit in that shame stuff, as you're saying. So there is such wisdom, isn't there, in the curiosity and the kindness to ourselves when we see those places. And and that part, particularly, as you're saying, in relationship, it can be so tricky because we we want change and we want it to look differently, but we're human and we are going to have places that are going that we need to go over again and again and again. So that that kind of leads me into one of the questions I wanted to ask you is, um, and we touched on this before we were we were um, talking recording about how can partners or mothers really support men when they're coming to this, when they're finding that they're in a place where there is a lot of yelling or there's a lot of anger or they can't be with their kids' feelings or they're really in the powerless stuff and they're trying to control what's going on. What are some of the things that you have learned through working with men that can really be beneficial that that perhaps mothers or partners could do? Yeah. So first of all, I hate to say it, but you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. And I have got so many messages from, uh, you know, moms who follow me on Instagram who say like, I need my husband to be taking this stuff. How do I get him to do it? And it's like, look, he's got to sign up by his own accord. And so that's one, unfortunately, but uh, men typically want to feel supported and they want to feel respected. And so what I have not seen work is you know, for lack of a better term, nagging. Um, It's much more useful in my opinion and my experience if the mom can bring her concerns to her husband in a loving way so that she says she wants to see more of something that he exhibits maybe a little bit less of than she would like. So rather than, oh, you always yell and it's terrible and I hate it, can you get your life in order? It could be like, oh, I feel so supported and so loving to you when you're able to calmly lead us through difficult times. And then he will likely take that as a sort of a motivation to do more of that. So I've just seen the positive aspect be much more uh, useful than the negative aspect. Now that's also not to neglect boundaries and consequences for those boundaries. Cause I, I say this in 
sort of all relationships, in my opinion, you have to have boundaries with what you're willing to put up with. And you need to express those boundaries and the consequences that not that's that crossing them will lead to. And so one of the things I've, I've told the mothers who have come to me is to just be very clear, like, hey, I'm needing this, this is how I'm feeling, and then make a request. And again, don't be hurtful about it. Don't be shameful about it, but just be very clear with where you're at. Because if you are listening to Lael, if you're following these, uh, you know, aware parenting, and you know that this is the way that's going to lead your family to the right place and your husband's not there yet, it's not going to be because you shame. It's going to be because you sort of bring him in and then leave space for him to step into that leadership role. And you might have the ideas and let him think that they were his in the first place. That's totally fine. Um, but it's just like loving support and respect goes so much farther than negative feedback. Even though I would argue there is space for that direct feedback. And then that will have to come in, uh, in, in regards to how you as a couple navigate conflict, because my wife and I, for example, very comfortable with conflict now, weren't always, but we can bring these things to each other and say, here's what I'm looking for more of. Here are my needs. Uh, I dropping expectations here, but are you willing to meet some of these? And then we just go back and forth. So if you would like to tell him those things, it's also a great opportunity to get him to open up to say, I would like to bring something to you. Are you okay with that? Maybe he'll say yes. Bring your concerns and then say, look, I'd love to hold space for what comes up with you. And he might just say, well, I, I don't know. I'm kind of angry that you would say that because the emotional intelligence is not there. And that just brings me to maybe my last point here, at least for now, is that men in general have no uh, emotional guidance, no mentors. Society looks down on it. We just got to be the rock, basically. And many of us were shamed as children for having sensitivity around emotions. And so assume perhaps that your husband is not going to be well-versed in these conversations, particularly when it comes to the feelings you're bringing to him or asking him what his feelings are. But on the flip side of that, most women are not well-resourced to deal with the fact that the man doesn't know or when he does start taking his feelings into account, I haven't met a lot of women who are able to actually hold that. So there are a number of men in men's group, for example, that we run who you know are starting to share their feelings with their wives, but their wives are basically shaming them now for bringing this up. And so it's like, there has to be this balance. You have to understand that not only do men not necessarily know how to express their feelings, but a lot of the women don't have practice because the men don't share. So there's this very nuanced, and you keep saying, bringing up compassion. I think that's the key to all of this, is how can you communicate your needs, which are very real, your feelings, which are very real, in a way that leads to compassionate communication and trying to relieve the suffering of all parties. And I think I picked that up from Thich Nhat Hanh's book, uh, The Art of Communicating, where he basically said, you know, all communication goals should be reducing suffering of both parties. Um, so yeah, support, respect, guiding, but not forcing. Those would be some of my general suggestions. 
I love them. And I absolutely can relate to everything you're talking about with the people that I have worked with in the past of everything you're saying. And I think that is a beautiful point. How do we all get our needs met here? And and it is one of the big things that um, women often contact both Mary and I going, how do I get my partner on board? And and you are right. They have to come willingly because I've done sessions in the past where uh, a mother's like, oh, my partner's going to come on the call. We're going to talk. And the partner doesn't want to be there. And, and you know, they're very resistant and they're very um, defensive. And and that's very challenging in a relationship. And and I do love your suggestions. And I, I think that that part of meeting them with compassion of, hey, I, I see who you really are, but I can also acknowledge that there's parts that are being activated in you. And and how do I support you to do that, uh, to be who you need to be is, is a big part of it. You know, and I had to, for me, my relationship, I've been with my husband now for, oh, stop counting the years, maybe 24 years, 25 years or something. Uh, it was a lot of modeling of the behavior to my children, of, of how I was responding to my children. It was being really curious when he did get really reactive and just say, hey, what's going on for you? Giving him permission to say the same to me, like meeting with that deep compassion, understanding of, hey, we've both got story here and I'm no better than, you know, one's not better than the other, you know, but how do we, how do we meet each other in the best places of ourselves? How do we all get our needs met here? And, and I love what you're saying. We are not modeled this. We are not taught it. If we look back to our family of origin, what did we, how, do, how did our parents communicate? How did they navigate this? And for most people, they will say not well. <laughs> so we, this, this when we are doing, and we often talk about this, Marion and I, a first generation of aware parenting is hard because you are offering to your children stuff that was never modeled to you. And that's why it can feel clunky and it can feel messy and we can we can make lots of mistakes. Well, they're not mistakes, they're just learnings. But all of that is understandable because we've never actually been guided or shown how to respond in these ways. Which brings me to my next beautiful question is, is about the support you have set up for dad. So I would love to know how did you how did this how did your podcast and setting up these groups of men come about? Like what you know, I'm I'm presuming it was because you did all the work and you're like I have to help others. But how did it come about? Yeah, so part of the journey that I didn't touch on was that I joined a men's group about three years ago, and this is just a group of men who meet up once a week and maybe connect over text between the meetings. And the point can be really intense. You can have a facilitator in there who gives you processes, or it could be really relaxed where every man just goes around the circle and shares what's real for him. But uh, that was really life-changing for me because as I got in there, I thought I could do everything myself. I was the lone wolf. I was doing a really good job with all my own healing work. I was like, oh man, I'm so good at this stuff. And I just kept banging my head up against the same wall at some point. And for me, it was that point of I was backsliding. It wasn't just the speed bumps. I would keep sliding back and I'd keep sliding back. And men's group was the thing for me that opened that door through the wall that I finally was able to step through. There's a man on my podcast, I think it was Jason Henderson, who said, uh, all of our wounds are created in relationship, therefore they must all be healed in relationship. And I thought that was very, that rung very true for me. And so being in men's group was a way for me to uh, learn who I was, first of all, because I was being reflected back in a very candid container, how I'm showing up, what the judgments of me were, how other men saw me. And I got to practice being my best self in that group. 
And after a while, I was um, asked to be a part of the leadership team. And so I led that group for a better part of two years. And that was just, it was my next step to be in that leadership role to show that I could do what I said I was doing and bring other men along with me. So as I was going through that journey, I had sold a part of my online business that I was running and I was going to start a new business and I thought I wanted to be a local entrepreneur because I'd done my whole journey online to this point and I wanted to prove to myself that I was truly a good businessman. Anyway, long story short, that did not work and it felt terrible, but I was left with this space. I count that as my first true failure because as a perfectionist, I don't let myself do things that are likely to fail. (laughs) This was the first time. So there's a whole other story in that. But in this space, after the failure, after leaning on the men's group, my grandfather, the men in my life that I had finally invited around me, I had this space. And in this space, this idea came up that I'd been thinking about for maybe three or four years. Like, oh, one day I can see myself on the TED stage talking about this journey that I've been on. And it's like, oh, I could probably help people now by running a men's group for dads. Because in my group, there was a lot of 30-ish year old guys. None of them were in a relationship. None of them were dads. So I was like, okay, I would love to see what this looks like with dads. And sure enough, we ran our first men's group. It was an eight-week program. And it was just phenomenal to hear, like just to see the weight that dads carry and to know that they would never put that down, but that the burden we all carry is so enormous. And it was just like, it was an honor to be in there with the men doing this work, saying stuff like this, that they hadn't told anyone in their 30, 40, 45 years of life, never shared this stuff before. So that was the point for me as I wanted to, I knew I could help people go through a shorter suffering period than I went through, which was, you know, up to this point, seven years. Um, So I just thought like, if I can take my seven years, thousands of hours, thousands of dollars of coaching and courses and this and that, and pack it up into a way that men could go through it in a few months or a year, whatever that looked like to just shave time and suffering out of their lives, uh, that would be awesome. And if I could do that sustainably and help like hundreds and thousands and like millions of men, like, Ooh, that excites me because the macro level of this, not only do I want to help the individual man and his children. That was quick side note. I had a text message from a group member and he said, do you ever think about all the children that you're impacting? And like that floored me. I had not thought of it from that. And you know, the numbers rang up in my head and I just went, wow. So that's, you know, why I think we, we all do this because a generation, a generation from now, excuse me, two generations from now, what will the world look like if thousands of dads are doing this work to break the chains of generational trauma and lead their own families in a way that is going to have everyone open and everyone authentic so that in 20 or 40 years, the world literally looks different because we're not being led by people who have repressed little boy emotions still. And that's another, you know, let's not get into politics necessarily. Uh, but that's <laughs> what I see happening in the world is that there is this onslaught of people, men especially, who have never actually felt their feelings and they're looking for ways to fill that hole, to fill that pain And it just goes outward in a destructive nature. And I think that's what people talk about when they talk about toxic masculinity. So what I'm hoping for is that we have a true balanced masculinity in the fathers that I work with so that they can be so gentle while at the same time providing that warrior energy to protect and provide and then have the discernment to know when to use each. That's my goal. So that, like I said, 20, 40 years from now, I look around and, you know, I'm I'm part of the solution in, in the world. 
Oh man, I'm not religious, but I just want to go, amen. <laughs> just like, <laughs> oh yes, I've got goosebumps as you're talking, Kurt, because it's it's everything that I think Marion and I stand for as well. Think about the children, think about the difference in where our world can be when we do our healing work and when we are supported in the ways that we need as adults so that we can hold for our children so that they grow up knowing their worth, knowing they are enough, knowing it is safe to express their feelings, having such clear yeses and nos about what is what is true for them in their world. You know, I, we will be living in a completely different world. So uh, this is why I just so champion your work and everything you're doing because it is really powerful. I think the ripple effects are huge of what you're doing. Oh, yes. Um, okay. I'm just, I'm all, I'm all buzzed up from it. I'm like, yes, this is so good. So good. Um, okay. What else did I want to, I want to ask you, um, is there anything that you would suggest to dads if they're listening to how they can support their partners better, you know, in the sense of the parenting, no matter what role you play, I mean, ultimately we need to be supportive of where where our partners are, but is there anything particular you have found with working with men or just from your own relationship in, in what has really supported your wife and your partner in her mothering journey? Yeah, for me, it was learning what everything was from a physiological standpoint to a hormonal standpoint to an emotional standpoint and just realizing the differences, particularly between um, you know, me being the more masculine partner and her being the more feminine partner, there's differences. And I think there are also differences between how father's parent and how mother's parent, and that's okay. But finding out what your wife uh, needs from you, what sort of emotional support, what her story has been, um, those things were all extremely important. And as you said, the curiosity and the compassion for me uh, were extremely useful as I navigated this. Even things like um, you know, society has this expectation that six weeks after, uh, you know, the mother gives birth, go back to work, everything's cool, the body's working again. And a lot of men go like, uh, can we get intimate now? And that's just not the timeline that many women operate under. And it's not the timeline they ought operate under. And so I think that if men knew that sort of thing, it would feel less bad because then they're not getting rejected. They're not wondering why they're not getting back into their shame spirals. And there's this resentment building up, taking both partners away from each other. So I would say, learn to communicate, be comfortable with where you're at and learn to express your needs as a partner in a relationship so that you can also get that from your partner, expressing it and then holding space. I think the give and the take is absolutely vital in the communication. So the, like, yeah, just, just everything about the motherhood journey. I don't know, cause I'm not a woman, but my wife would know. And so learn about that and get curious about that and simply know it's not the same as yours. And so for me, I spent some time looking into just the differences in the so-called polarity work, they call it, between me being the, the more masculine partner. I'm also just generally as a person better at being able to hold everything around me as a facilitator. This comes from all the way back as being a child, having to hold the space for everyone around me and my family. It's now a gift. So I know I can hold that space for her. And I also know now that when my wife is uh, expressing emotions to me, I don't need to go in there and fix them. I just need to hold them. I need to be that shore against which her ocean can crash 
and then settle down. So I'm not defensive. I'm not go, oh yeah, but I did this and you did that. It's like, no, okay. I see you. I hear you. Sounds like this is really hurting right now. So it's like same and same with our kids, right? Mirroring and validating and empathizing. It's all the same in relationship. And so when you get good at one of these skills, I think it's so exciting that you get good at all of them. So parenting and marriage and all, and even like working with people, you see people and you're compassionate with people. So the physical and physiological differences are one being able to hold the space of the emotional onslaught, realizing that the husband, it's probably not your fault. It's probably not your problem. She's probably just wanting you to hold the space and listen to her rather than fix it, which I know almost every man I talk to tries to do. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's probably a lot more, but that's what's coming to mind right now. Mm-hmm. There, that's some gold right there. The fixing thing is just so huge. So, so huge. Uh, I have two more questions for you. One, I just want to circle back a little bit to your sons when you were saying, you know, those first few years when it, when there was lots of feelings and stuff for you, what has repair looked like over the years for you? Like in knowing what you know now and, and you know, I just am very aware that for many parents when they come to something like aware parenting, they go, oh, gosh, you know, what I have done in the past wasn't great and is my child going to be affected now? And, you know, what have you found that has been really powerful around that with your, with your boys? Yeah. So nowadays I try to have the rupture to repair cycle down to like a couple of minutes. Um, and that's simply because I'm in this doing the work still, like I'm, I'm sitting with myself in silence, I'm breathing, I'm journaling, I'm thinking about this stuff all the time. So I just, you know, you never get to the end where you simply become like the perfect parent. So I just want everyone to know that. Uh, but when I see myself express in a way that's destructive or hurtful, I just go and tell them right away, um, you know, I, here's what happened. Here's what I was feeling. And I'm sorry, that was unacceptable. And I will often still come back to uh, part of what they can be responsible for, because that's what part of what we're trying to teach is I'm responsible for my reactions. You're also responsible for yours. So let's have a conversation about this. Where were you at? How was your day? All these kind of things. That's very, that's very uh, acute and in the moment. But in terms of like the past re- re- um, repairing, that has come here and there sporadically, usually after a more acute repair. So for example, I will, oh, you know, I'm so sorry for doing this. And then I'll give a little bit of a backstory. Like, hey, I know that I used to be, uh, you know, I used to yell a lot more. I used to be scary. That must make it really hard to trust when I go back there. And I don't want to be like that. So I've, you know, I don't know whether this is right or wrong, but I've told them about things that, you know, I used to do with my dad. I've told him about how I used to feel. And I told him how hard it used to be. And that I love them so much that I took the time to figure this out. And so anything that we need to figure out, we can do together. And so it's, again, it's that message of hope. It's acknowledging what happened so that when they're thinking about that, when they're, you know, 20, 25, 30, they're not like, oh, why am I so whatever their, you know, trauma response is. They're going to be like, oh, I've got the pieces. My dad already mirrored all the tools. I know how to go in there and fix these things. And that's, I think, the best we can do is that, you know, for us, as you say, the first generation, that's so hard. We had to realize, oh, there's this thing called emotions. There's this thing called trauma. There's this thing called history. We, I, use, I see it in my mind as a mine, a mine shaft. And I trip down it one day and it's like, oh, no, there's a dark hole down here. What do I do? 
but I had to then map out the mine myself. I had to come up with, oh, okay, you can actually mine here to heal. So what does a pickaxe look like? I got to go find the wood and I got to go find the metal. I got to make this, got to learn how to use it so that eventually I can have this, you know, mind shaft of healing. But for my kids, I want to be like, hey guys, there's a mine shaft there. Here's a map. Here's some pickaxe and a shovel. In other words, here are the tools to deal with the things that I am no doubt going to cause issues in you. The so-called father wound that I am definitely going to create in you. No matter how good I'm going to be, you're going to perceive something I do as wrong or hurtful or whatever. So giving them those tools. And like the, the reason that I said I'm not sure if this is right before is because I'm having big conversations with them at nine and seven years old. And it just, I, I imagine that some of these things will sort of wear off on them if we have them a number of times. And it's not a one-time thing, much like big conversations um, about, you know, the the conversation, so to speak, about intimacy and, and relationships and drugs and all those things. Like I got them once or none, and I want to have conversations over a lifetime. So that's sort of what I do in terms of repairing the old wounds is just talk about them when they come up and be like, yeah, this is what's happened. Here's why. And uh, we're, we're getting better together. Oh, I love that so much because it just so speaks to us being accountable for how we're feeling and, and communicating with that with our children to say, this is not about you. This is my story here. And then children don't then have to carry. I need to make my parent. Okay. We don't have to become that good girl or good boy to carry it forward. So I absolutely love what you're saying. And and even just from you being able to say, hey, this is my story. This is what happened for me. I am doing it better. Our children naturally move into compassion and, and they it will be embodied in their cells. They will know it. I see this with my adult children now because as we do the work, you know, and it is powerful to communicate it and talk about it. But even if we don't, the way we turn up, the way we meet their feelings, the way we hold space for them becomes just their inner barometer. And then they they do it naturally. It's beautiful. And I love that as you model the tools, as you talk about the tools, they know they have that within them as well. That's really, really powerful. Okay. I want to keep asking questions, but I will have to, <laughs> have to stop. Okay. Oh, all right. I'd love to just maybe your top three things of, okay, if, if men are listening to this and they're like, hey, that's me, I'm angry, this story, uh, what do I do? You know, what would you say? What's your three kind of top tips of how to begin this journey for men? Yeah. So I always say the first one is just awareness, like getting really honest with yourself and becoming authentic. Stop making excuses. Ask why a whole lot. And I look at this journey for myself as you need crutches and then you need to do the healing work. And so for me, I was like, okay, let's say my trauma, the things that I scream at, my triggers are equivalent to like a broken leg. And if I don't have crutches or tools in this case, I'm going to keep walking on it and it's going to keep hurting and I'm going to keep getting triggered and exploding in anger. So what I needed to do was learn things like how to talk to my kids. And I learned a lot of that through Rye Parenting, but I mean, you obviously have the, all the resources. So if you're looking for that, take whatever Lael's offering because it's amazing uh, and learn how to talk to your children in those triggered moments to just give yourself a crutch to get off the broken leg as it were. And some of the things for me that have worked are deep breathing in the moment specifically. Um, and things like just noticing your feet on the floor, noticing sensations, uh, saying how you feel before you explode it. So, hey, you know, I'm feeling pretty angry right now. I'm frustrated. And then maybe even walking away. So these are, you know, these are more than two or three things, but they fall under the one thing of a crutch. 
And after that, there has to be the healing work. The actual leg has to heal, and that's about going deeper. So awareness through meditation, mindfulness, breathing, uh, journaling is a really good thing to do here, and just start knowing yourself. Second step, I would say, is learning these crutches, including communication tools. A book that I really liked was Nonviolent Communication. That's just a really good oversight. Um, I also enjoyed Getting to Zero by Jason Gaddis, which was just on how to communicate in uh, high-intensity conflicts. And uh, honestly, getting other good people around you. So mentors and like coaches and, and get around people that you can emulate. Because for me, like I'm in business and what I do when I want to learn something, I just go pay someone. Like, hey, can you teach me this thing? Because it'll take way less time than if I had to do it myself. Um, and like, like we were talking about before, I'm trying to combine all this into a course. So I'm taking like all these disparate notes. What are the one or two or three things? But I think the overarching part of this is you just have to be serious about it. If you genuinely want to do this, I can tell you like five, 10, 15 steps to do, but I think the only thing that's going to work for you is the commitment to want to be better. And then your own story will guide that. There are so many resources. There are so many places to look that if you have trouble with defensiveness, if you have trouble, maybe not yelling, but you go into your shell, maybe you let some people walk all over you. You'll, you know, come across in your journeys, no more Mr. Nice Guy. Maybe you come across an anger management course, maybe whatever it is. So no matter what the exact steps are, be in it for your kids. Like they don't deserve anything but your best because as you were impacted by your father, they are impacted by you. And I always say to guys, like I try to trigger people on Instagram with my posts. You might not like it, but I try to trigger them on Instagram because I would rather you feel uncomfortable now and do something about it than have regret 20 years from now when your children don't talk to you, you get divorced, you're paying for your kids therapy. Like, oh man, that is the motivation that I think we need to tap into as fathers to do the work. So I guess quick summarize is get really committed find a way to become more aware and then specifically learn things like communication skills and expressing yourself in the high conflict times when there's tantrums, when there's triggers. Mm, That's so beautiful. And I, and as always, and we talk about a lot of this with aware parenting, we need the community. We need people around us to, to, so we can see what it looks like. We need other, in your case, you need other men who've done the work and walk in front of you. So you go, ah, that's what it should look like. Or we need that holding of community and acceptance to know that this is powerful work and we're doing it. So yes, it's it's so needed. So in saying that, what have you got to offer for men, Kurt? So you have your amazing podcast, Dad Work. I highly recommend everyone go and check it out and listen to all the incredible guests that you have on there. What else do you have for, for men to access? Yeah, thank you. I'm most active on Instagram, which is dadwork.kurt. Um, but I am right now working on a course to put together uh, to help dads yell less and learn how to parent from being an angry dad because that's where I was and that was the biggest issue in my life and in talking to the guys that were uh, you know following us right now it's like everyone sees this as being the number one issue in their life so uh, if you'd like to be on the wait list for when that is launched it's dad.work slash anger that's on our website there's just an email sign up and I'll let you know when we launch that And uh, I think we're full on our men's groups right now, unfortunately. Uh, You could find that on our website, dad.work. And um, yeah, I think those are the best places. I'm Mm -hmm. very active on online right now. So you can find me. 
Mm, well, I hope with all this interest and, and the great need for it, it just keeps expanding and getting bigger and bigger and it becomes a movement. I am so willing for it to be a movement <laughs> so that more men are, are willing to do this work or, or just, yeah, our parents. They're, they're willing to do the work and change the story and, and turn up for their kids in the way that, you know, they desire. Yes. Uh, thank you so much for your time and sharing your story and your wisdom. I've just been nodding the whole way through because it's everything that, you know, Marion and I talk about from an aware parenting perspective. And uh, it was, it feels really good to have a father on here just talking from his perspective and someone who's out there doing the work and supporting others. So thank you so much for your time, Kurt. I'm really mm-hmm. grateful for your, for your beautiful sharing. Mm, thank you thank you for holding space for everything Mm. all right everybody well i hope that has um has sparked some interest or has just landed in your heart we'll put um kurt's socials uh on the podcast uh on our show notes and now and our our social posts so you can access him and go and follow him and um yeah and perhaps you'll share this with your partner or send it to some men you know um and you know thank you again kurt for your time and for all those beautiful listeners out there who keep sharing our podcasts and writing to us marion and i so appreciate it and next episode we'll be back uh next week it's our hundredth episode so we're going to have something special that marion and i are going to share uh thank you to everyone for being here again and take care Thanks for joining us on the Aware Parenting Journey. Please follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the Aware Parenting Podcast. You can find more about Lael at www.laelstone.com.au or find Marion at www.marionrose.net. We wish you much compassion and grace on your parenting journey.